grandpa it's been uh i've been wanting to do this for a really long time now so i i appreciate you humoring me and letting me do this interview so it's a it's a pleasure to have you aboard so i want to give you like the full backstory before we get into everything so i um uh so i i've always been fascinated with talk radio and sports talk radio and um Growing up, listening to Rush Limbaugh, listening to um, you know the Colin Cowherds, the Mike and Mikes, you know, on the sports side, and it's always been something that I've wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you and I had that, uh, you there was three of us. It was you, myself, and Jim Beam. Um, <laughs> we had a uh, we had a great conversation one night, and I just thought to myself, I was like, you know. These these conversations are priceless. You know these are these are memories that I'll cherish forever. And uh, you're you're my last grandparent. You know, and um, and so this is uh, so this whole podcast I've recorded forty episodes. This is I think this will be number forty that that I've recorded. Um, but that that mo that that day back in February a couple years ago. That's really what made me want to do this. And so. The fact that we're here up in Gaylord, Michigan today, uh, doing this almost a year and a half later, is just uh, uh, it's it's definitely a blessing. So thanks thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Okay, so, no problem. Yeah. So um, I want to just ask you a couple questions about your life and sure. uh, um, just get this all on camera. So you were born in Mulberry, Kansas, correct? No, no, no. I lived there growing up. You grew but up I was there. actually born. In a little town in southwest Missouri called Minden Mines, Missouri. Okay. And September 21, 1930. 1930. And we moved to Mulberry when I was two years old. Okay. So 1930, did the, so you were born in the Great Depression? Yes. How? But the Depression had been on about two or three years, and I grew up during the the big the Great Depression, as they called it. What was your first memory that you have of growing up in that time? Well, th- there were there wasn't hardly any jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, my family there were seven of us, seven kids, I had three older than me and three younger than me, and uh, my dad was in the trucking business, which was very, uh, say a very meager Mm -hmm. earnings in those days yeah and my mom was an excellent manager and so we we did well i think comparatively to other people there it was in a a coal mining area and uh even the the price of coal was like nothing uh it was very difficult to make a living even in the coal mines in but uh we, like I say, I had uh, six siblings, and we all went through 
the Mulberry School System. Mm-hmm. All of us graduated from Mulberry High School and headed out into the world, so Wait, to speak. What year did you graduate high school? 1948. 1948. Yes, and uh, following that, I, uh, I worked in a packing house in Pittsburgh, uh, I was in the order room. We'd make up the orders and sent out to the grocery stores. Had uh, I think at that time we had something like nine delivery trucks that traveled Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd uh, have would work all afternoon and evening getting the orders ready for the next morning. Uh, most of the trucks would leave around four to five o'clock in the morning. So we'd have to have everything ready before then. Bright and early. <laughs> and uh, following that, I worked for my dad, who was then a uh, contractor at the uh, Army Ammunition, uh, manu- well, where they made ammunition, mm-hmm. at Crestline, Kansas. And uh, they were building a new railroad there, and he had the contract to help build that railroad spur into Riverton, Kansas. And I worked for him for a while, and then the Korean War broke out. And right away, I wanted to join the Air Force. Mm -hmm. That was in the fall of 1950. And my mom talked me into waiting till after Christmas. She said the the war would still be on Christmas (laughs) time, so I did. And uh, I waited, and I I, uh, Left on the second day of January, 1951. Went to Kansas City and went through the the uh, physical and mental testing and all of that. And I was sworn in about seven o'clock on Friday evening, the fifth of January, 1951. Wow! Did you at that time? Did you think that you were going to make a career of oh, the no. military? No, that was that was I was going to last as long as the Korean War lasted. That was my idea. My oldest brother volunteered and served during World War II from 1942 to 1950, or 1942 to 1946. Wow. And uh, Was he Air Force as well? No, he was Army. Army, okay. And he was in the Signal Corps, and he spent, uh, I think, about two years of that in Australia in General MacArthur's headquarters. He was in the Signal Corps. And he was part of the team that broke some of the Japanese codes. Interesting. That made the war much better for our side. <laughs> wow. What was it, what's your older brother's name? Hurl Jr., but uh, for to us, he was always Bud. Bud. Okay. Bud, yeah. Uh, and he he was uh, six years older than me. Okay. He was my oldest brother, and uh, he uh, then after the Korean War broke out. He uh, re-enlisted again and served during the Korean War. But uh, going on with my story, I went to uh, San Antonio, Texas for basic training. And, of course, this was right after the Korean War broke out. And the uh, facilities there would uh, accommodate roughly uh, 2,700 recruits at one time and the week that i arrived there we had 72,000 wow i i said 2700 i meant 27,000 wow but we had 72,000 the week that i got there so they 
split us up over a period of about three to four weeks in uh, groups of around 400 and sent us out to different air bases around the country for basic training. And I went to Marchfield, California, right outside of Riverside and about oh, 50 miles from Los Angeles and took my basic training there. And from there, I went to uh, Lowry Field in Denver, Colorado for supply training, unit supply training. And uh, I was there for uh, 14 weeks. I went back to Marchfield. When I got there, I found out the wing I'd been assigned to had moved to Lake Charles, Louisiana. So <laughs> I... Uh, then made my way to Lake Charles, Louisiana, with the 44th Bomb Wing. All over the place. I'm sorry? You were all over the place. Yes, and <laughs> I hadn't been in service very long. Yeah. And anyhow, uh, I uh, I got to Lake Charles, which they had reopened. It was a, a World War II air base. Mm -hmm. I made B-29 aircraft there, B-29 bombers, which was, again, left over from World War II. And uh, I actually spent uh, about three years there at Lake Charles. And during that time, of course, I got married uh, September 1st, 1951. And uh, I, Grandma, she came to join me the next, next year. And uh, that's when uh, uh, Lisa and Richard were born both in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Gotcha. And at that time, we were planning on me getting out of the Air Force at the end of uh, 1954. My enlistment would have been up in 54, early 55. And uh, I, uh, I got an assign or I got notified that uh, I could. Uh, go to England if I wanted to, which to me was better really than going to Korea. Yes. But <laughs> anyhow, I went home and talked it over with my wife, and she says, we might not get another chance to go to England, so mm -hmm. let's go. So really it was her decision. Okay. And we went to England in uh, the summer of 1954, and we spent four years there, three years at one base and one year at another, uh, which I volunteered for, which, again, uh, Grandma voted yes on. <laughs> <laughs> I spent three years at uh, RAF Station, Sturgate, in Lincolnshire, England. And uh, the final year was at East Kirkby, RAF Station, down by Skagness, not far in from the uh, North Sea. And we lived at a little place called Sutton on the Sea. We had no base housing at either base in, in England. But uh, we lived at a small village uh, called Sutton on the Sea, which was about 25 miles from East Kirkby. But it was a beautiful uh, home. Uh, it was something very rare in northern England. In those days, we had six bedrooms and five baths and central heating. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and central heating was really, a, I think, they, they might have had it in uh, Buckingham Palace, but <laughs> out in the uh, areas where we lived, there was nothing like that. But we enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where our son 
Thomas. Thomas Howard. Howdy. Was Howdy. Born. <laughs> he was he was born in England, and uh, we we left there in 1958, and went to Schilling Air Force Base at Salina, Kansas. Okay. And, he, and while we were in England, uh, we had uh, fighters uh, at our air base, and then at East Kirkby, the one year assignment. We had a squadron of uh, KC-97 refueling tankers. And then we went to uh, Schilling at Salina, Kansas. And we had uh, B-47 uh, jet bombers there. And they'd extended the runways uh, and, uh, with the expectation of getting B-52s there. But it never happened. Uh, I spent... Uh, we spent five years there from uh, 58 up to 63, and uh, we enjoyed that. And uh, that's where our daughter Linda was born in 1959. Know her pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, during uh, that time, I uh, I went on temporary duty to... to a few places. Uh, one was up in uh, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, uh, RAF Station Nemeo. We had a uh, squadron of uh, KC-97 tankers uh, dispersed there to help refuel the RCAF aircraft. And uh, one of my duties uh, for Two and a half years there was on the uh, Air Force Gunnery Range, where we trained all the gunnery officers from uh, uh, B-47s, B-52s, and uh, newly acquired B-58 bombers. And uh, it was uh, we had our own. Uh, these these were all ground mounted, and uh, we had our own classrooms there, our own instructors, and everything, and. The targets were what they called OQ-19D. They were a, a small aircraft with a 21-foot wingspan, and it had the most economical gasoline engine in the country then. It weighed 72 pounds and generated 72 horsepower. Oh, wow. And that uh, they flew these and actually shot them down with our uh, gunnery systems. And we had our own maintenance there where they'd rebuild a lot of the targets, and we maintained our own uh, gunnery systems there with the help of, uh, it was uh, General Electric had the contract for the uh, B-47 systems, and American Bosch Arma had the contract for the B-52s, and Emerson Electric had the contract for the B-58 systems. And we had uh, representatives from each company on board there worked with us on all of that. And again, I, I traveled to to Fort Worth, which was the headquarters for the, the B-58 system, and made several trips up to Strategic Air Command headquarters in Omaha for conferences and procurement uh, uh, details where we'd buy a lot of this stuff to the targets especially, things like that. And then 
down to uh, Mobile, Alabama, which was the Air Force Prime Depot for the OQ-19 targets. And uh, it was a very interesting job. Mm-hmm. And from there, after five years at uh, Schilling, I was, I was about ready for a change. Yeah. <laughs> and the Air Force was ready for me to change, too. <laughs> so they sent me to a, the real uh, vacation spot of the world, Tudley, Greenland. And no it was it was a one-year assignment, of course, no uh, no dependents or anything. So my wife went to uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, her and the kids, and uh, spent the year there. And uh, I had a, uh, it actually, except for the elements, it was a very good assignment. Okay. I was in the... Uh, what they call management and procedures section of the supply system at Thule. And it was my job to make up the budget for the next year. And this was, it was very, uh, it was a very responsible job because uh, the resupply ships, they would come in right at the 4th of July. The uh, icebreakers would come in there through the, uh, into uh, North Star Bay and uh, they had to get all the ice broken before we could bring in the supply ships. Gotcha. And we had about a, a three or four week uh, uh, window without the ice. Yep. <laughs> and, and we'd get several uh, supply ships in. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, through the rest of the year, if there was an emergency, of course, they would fly our uh, equipment or whatever we needed yep. up from the States. But it was, like I say, it was a very responsible job to make sure that we had all the yeah. things that we could get aboard ship up there. Absolutely. And uh, I had uh, like four months of, of uh, midnight. Yep. And then we had uh, four months of twilight. Yep. And then we had four months of bright daylight, you know, okay. 24-7. Yep. You could get up at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, the sun would be shining. In the wintertime, <laughs> you'd be up at noon Nothing. and be black as wow. night. It would be night. That's wild. But anyhow, I put up with it for a year, 11 months, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of had my choice of assignments. After, after that, they, they pretty well took care of you on to make sure you had an assignment that you wanted. Mm-hmm. So we decided we wanted to go to Germany. Okay. And we did. We went to... Uh, air base in Germany, Ramstein Air Base, that I had visited once back when uh, I was stationed in England. I went over there for a conference. But uh, it was it was one of the, probably the best uh, air bases outside the continental U.S. in the world. Okay. It was a city in itself. I think we probably had more than 20,000 people on it. And mm-hmm. All the comforts and everything, good living conditions, of course, good schools. For the kids, mm-hmm. and there I was assigned to uh, uh, organization called the Ground Electronics Engineering and Installation Agency, and we were responsible for all the communications, uh, navigational aids, and all of that from uh, Preswick, Scotland, to Peshawar, Pakistan. And we had about six hundred men in that squadron. Everything from Telephone repairmen to uh, uh, 
every kind of electronics imaginable. And uh, we had teams that would actually install the navigational aids, and uh, which <laughs> in those days they were rebuilding our warning system all over Europe and the Middle East, and is building towers, I think, on every mountain in Europe and Greece, Turkey, Spain, all the way into Pakistan. And I got to see most of that country while I was there. Wow. I uh, I had temporary duty. We I was there for three years, and I had temporary duty in uh, Scotland, of course, England, uh, and around Germany. And then I went to Spain, went to uh, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. I was uh, on actual duty assignment. We had teams working in all those places. And a lot of it, see, I, I had a very high uh, intelligence uh, clearing. I was cleared for top secret. And on some of my assignments, depending on the equipment that I was handling and the places I visited, it would say on my orders, cleared to and up to uh, uh, crypto, which was the highest designation there there was no at that time. Wow. And this was so I could actually handle something. Uh, a lot of these jobs, they would be almost finished and they'd need the... Uh, the secret, top secret, whatever it was, drawers to install there to make these things workable. Mm -hmm. And that's where you came in. And that's where I came in on a lot of the assignments. And, of course, all of these things, like I say, they were on a mountaintop either in Turkey or I remember a place uh, in Patras, Greece. It was right down on the beach practically, but it was a 240-foot tower, and we had people there for... Oh, nine months, I guess. I was in and out of there a couple times. And uh, when the the job was over, uh, we were taking all of our equipment and everything. It was like a caravan coming back into Athens. And our liaison officer met us there, and he was getting quite a kick out of whatever it was he had to tell us. And come to find out the little village that we stayed in there in Patras. Of course, like I say, I was in and out of there a couple of times. But our team was there for over nine months. They was living in the hotel. Mm. And nobody in that in that uh, village spoke English, none. Mm. So at mealtime, you would go back in the kitchen and just point to the pots, whatever was cooking there. You want some of this, some of that. Well, come to find out when we got out of there that the local meat dealer in Patras, they had him in jail. He had 1,800 cats oh my God. all dressed and drawn in his cold storage. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this this is, uh, that was our, our fare. So I left uh, Germany after three years, very, very exciting, productive years for me anyway. Well, another thing, uh, I'd been there about, uh, nine months, I think, and I got, I got promoted to tech sergeant, which was very good in my job and everything. And uh, from there, I went from electronics into missiles. Fun. Went to Minuteman Base and 
uh, about 60 miles east of Kansas City, Whiteman Air Force Base, and uh, we had the Minuteman missiles there. So that completed my uh, assignments in the Air Force because the Air Force has fighters, bombers, electronics, and missiles. And I was assigned to each of those at different times. And they were all very interesting assignments, and it was always something new. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, it, uh, at Whiteman, I was uh, NCOIC of material control. I worked uh, right in base headquarters, right down the, the hall from the, the wing commander and practically next door to the deputy commander for maintenance, which was a full colonel. And he and I got along real well. He'd come by my office every morning to have a cup of coffee and check my status boards. <laughs> he, uh, he he actually was a, a very good friend. He was one of the top men I ever met in the Air Force, Colonel Godwin. And uh, like I say I was there with the Minuteman missiles for two years. I was there about two years when got notified that my next assignment wasn't going to be great. Vietnam, I was, correct? I was going to Vietnam. All right. How did you feel about that at the time? Well, I didn't feel bad about it. I, I joined up to to for war, the, the Korean War, mm -hmm. and I spent most of it in England. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so I didn't know what I was going to get into in, in Vietnam. I knew it wasn't going to be anything great. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I was assigned to a, a fighter base there. We had F-100s. Uh, when I got there, we had uh, 127 F-100s. And when I left there 11 months later, we had 97. Wow. We lost 30 aircraft and 14 pilots that year I was there. And again, I had a very interesting uh, duty there. I, uh, I worked out on the flight line, and uh, I would accompany the launch crews early in the morning when they were launching anywhere from 40 to 80 aircraft. They'd usually launch between 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning, so I was usually down there by 5. And uh, after launch, I would go... Uh, what I'd do, I'd go back to the job I was actually assigned to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was NCOIC of the, the, they called it the Rack Center. It's a repairable asset control center where everything that came off the aircraft came through us and we'd assign it to the shops or send it back to the states for repair and do that all day. And then along about two or three o'clock, I'd be back down on the flight line for the recovery. The aircraft had landed, and they were going through them and see what it took to get them ready for the next day. And uh, I'd work with them till about 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And if I was lucky, I could go by the flight line mess hall and get supper. <laughs> so it made some pretty long days. I know I first went to the flight line on the 11th of December of uh, 1969. And the first day I did not go to the flight line was Memorial Day, 1971. And it wasn't just going there, it was 
like being there around 5.30 in the morning and mm-hmm. maybe getting away from there at 8 or 9 o'clock at night. That's 50 years ago today, give or take a handful of days. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Like I say, it was one thing that made the time go fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did, uh, I took one trip out of there to uh, Thailand. Okay. And that was that was interesting, too. We, we had a refueling outfit over in Thailand, and we also had a bunch of uh, choppers over there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, our, our base there, we had a couple of, uh, they called them sister bases, but I know one of them was out there in the jungle that belonged to the CIA, and we supported that. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, aircraft going back and forth between us and them. Practically every day. What was the CIA doing out there? What was? Oh, uh, they were very strong in Vietnam. They they had uh, all over country there the intelligence work, mm-hmm. and they assisted uh, Air Force intelligence no end. Because Vietnam was one of the most co- complicated wars that we had we had it been was. in, at least up to that point. You know, um, I, I I am not a historian. I don't know a ton about it, but it just seemed to me like it was. It was a different style of warfare that it was, the U.S. was accustomed to. What, uh, I think that what a lot of the uh, problems were, you didn't know, uh, looking at the, the the people there, who's on our side. Right. <laughs> and it was very, uh, very iffy. And, of course, there with the... Uh, we were very fortunate on on the base that I was on. Uh, three sides of it was covered by a mountain range. Okay. And the fourth side was the South China Sea. We had a NCO club right down on the beach there, mm-hmm. which was very nice sometimes. But uh, up in those mountains was a South Korean regiment. And when the word got out that they didn't take any uh, prisoners— they pretty much left us alone. We we were actually attacked three times during my year there, and they did nothing at all to hurt. They never damaged anything on the base except uh, stirred up the sand out on the softball field. <laughs> and and uh, I, we were, like I say, very fortunate mm-hmm. because I, I know I saw what was going on there in the jungle and down yeah. in the delta and everything, then we were very fortunate where we were at. Mm-hmm. Our uh, living conditions there, of course, uh, I was uh, top three grade NCO, but we had had a great barracks there, air-conditioned barracks. And, of course, the enlisted, uh, lower enlisted people, they lived in tents there, even on our base. And... Our base was one that was contracted out. Uh, the contractors made it ready. All we had to do was bring in our uh, equipment, and we were in business. And that had been going. Uh, that base had been open two years, I think, when I got there. And then it uh, closed. The, when I left there, I w- went to uh, Guam. Me and 32 others, I was NCIC of the en route team, and we brought back our airplanes from Tuiwa back to England Air Force Base in Louisiana, 
And there was 33 of us on Guam and 33 more at Hickam in Hawaii to uh, process the aircraft on. And we did such a good job, I guess, that when we got to uh, Louisiana, they told us that we were going to go back at least two more times and bring two more wings home. And uh, that was about the time that I put in my retirement papers. Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to enjoy any more of uh, Vietnam. Yeah. So uh, on the... uh, Actually, they had it... uh, the rule that uh, coming back from Vietnam, you could uh, put in your retirement papers and they would process you out within 60 days. And uh, when I got there, I I put in my papers and apparently they got lost in somebody's inbox up in the Pentagon Mm -hmm. because I I spent uh, two extra months there. Instead of retiring at the end of January 1971, I retired at the end of March. 1971, and went on the retirement rolls on the 1st of April, on April Fool's Day. (laughs) (laughs) But I had uh, 20 years of some excellent assignments. I had two or three years of some that weren't so good, but uh, I'll say this, the assignment itself was never bad. Mm -hmm. The the weather around you might be, or the situation around you might be bad, but uh, the job was good, and... uh, as much as you could enjoy, uh, you know, being away from your family as much as I was. Mm-hmm. I, I know in uh, Germany, I was gone, I don't know how many months, probably half of the time at least, uh, from my family that was in Germany with uh-huh. me. And I, I know I was, I was actually assigned to 11 Air Force bases and I was on uh, temporary duty to 12 others. And that was probably in about uh, nine or 10 different countries. That, And I served on in, <laughs> in uh, Guam and uh, visited a lot of places like the Philippines and Midway, Wake Island, uh, Hawaii, Labrador, uh, just practically every place that we had people. <laughs> I was about to say, I, is there any place you haven't been? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't go to South America. Okay. And uh, I didn't really uh, get into Africa, although I was on orders to go to Ethiopia once. And they, we had a team working there. And uh, they, uh, for some reason... The uh, the orders were canceled. It it had something to do, I don't know, with the State Department. I guess this was some State Department work because our squadron supported not only the Air Force, but we also uh, supported all the uh, embassies and everything for their communications. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know in, uh, I think it was in 77 when they... Uh, uh, locals took over the embassy in Iran, and uh, our our squadron had built the whole communication set up there in that embassy back when I was there. Mm. But I like, see we had people, everything from uh, radar people to T 
telephone people and construction just uh, scattered all over that that area for years and that was that was our job while I was there anyway was supporting the Air Force and the State Department so real quick when so you're going out and building all these communication systems mm-hmm. post World War two is that is that we probably weren't doing that a lot of that pre-world war ii oh no so it was the reason for that just so that we have a broader this was actually to keep an eye on what was going on in russia okay the when you look at the the big map the big picture Mm -hmm. everything that we were doing was circling russia gotcha and even as back as far as uh well when i was in greenland they had uh, the, uh, uh, what was they called, BMU's uh, ballistic missile early warning system that was all around Canada and over to the east of us. Mm-hmm. And they said that you could uh, sit in the headquarters there of the uh, electronics place and watch the airplanes taken off from Moscow. Hmm. No kidding. <laughs> now, I don't know how true that is, but... <laughs> But that's what they said, and I know that they were. These things were in operation while I was there. Wow! All the missile early warning systems, and uh, again, that was a very interesting mm. uh, tour. Although it was a year away from my family, it was. Yeah, I had some some very interesting times, and uh, most of it I enjoyed. Yeah, and thank goodness most of it, my wife. And family enjoyed, too. yeah. Because our uh, our oldest daughter Lisa, uh, they say that when you change schools with kids, they they don't learn or they don't like school. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa, when she graduated from high school, had been in fifteen schools. Wow! And she was always a good student, and now, of course. She has her doctorate, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that kind of puts a lie to that. Yeah, <laughs> the old wives' tales, mm-hmm. and uh, the Air Force was uh, very good, I think, to me and my family, and uh, all our kids are well educated. Real, real proud of them. Mm-hmm. They got to see a lot of the world too. Maybe some of it they didn't like much more than I did. Yeah. But, it was uh, it was quite an experience because mm-hmm. you have a lot of you know I, I believe because Richard was military as well correct or yes was, okay yeah Richard uh, Richard served uh, one tour uh, he went to Turkey he okay. he spent a year in Turkey and then he was assigned up at Whiteman where I was mm-hmm. earlier and then uh, Thomas Howdy he served twelve years okay. And uh, he served some of his time in Saudi Arabia and uh, some there at Oklahoma City. So we are kind of an Air Force family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, Mark as well. Yes. Mark went Army, Mark though, right? Mark went Army, yep. yes. And uh, he was a ranger, and he jumped out airplanes, maybe jumped out a couple too many because he <laughs> kind of— Hurt his back and his knees. Yeah, very, 
very mm-hmm. proud of our family. Yeah, and then Lance is police officer now. Did yes. he was, did he serve as well, or no. he he uh, he was he had joined the reserves or had committed to the reserves, and he went to a camp down at uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Okay, for training, and we went down when he graduated from that camp. And I think he had something like 90 days after that to make up his mind if he wanted to go on active duty or not. Mm -hmm. And I think during that time, he got this job in, uh, I think he did it in Warrensburg for a while, maybe while he was in college or maybe right after. But he went to work as a cop then. But then when he graduated, he immediately went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and that's, mm-hmm. it's been about 20 years ago now. Yep. So circling back real quick, um, kind of pre-military career, I, I tell a lot of people that, you know, myself and Katie and Allie and uh, some of our other family members, we got a lot of our athleticism for you. You were a, a very, uh, you had a very successful athletic career prior to going into the military and uh yeah tell me tell me a quick football story because i know that you like i I remember talk like hearing some stories about i I can tell you a a better basketball story okay go go ahead okay uh i was a freshman my older brother marion was a junior and i was uh, on the second team me and four more that i grew up with there we'd known each other all along and we'd played junior high basketball together. And about uh, eight or nine games into the season, the varsity team was like 0-9. And, and the second team, which I was a part of, we were like 9-0. and <laughs> So we went to the coach and asked him, why can't we be the varsity? We know how to win. <laughs> and there's some words to that effect. So he fixed up a game, uh, a complete game. We played them, and whoever the winner is is going to be the varsity. So we beat them something like, I don't know, 15 points, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, things were kind of tough around home there for a while. My older brother, he wasn't <laughs> he in favor demoted. of that at all. <laughs> but uh, we we didn't have very good coaching our first two years in high school in basketball or football. Of course, in those days, you had one coach, coached everything. Mm. But uh, we got a new coach when going into our junior year. And that year, uh, we went uh, nine and one. And uh, the team that beat us, we had beaten them. We had played double round robin because our conference was so small. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd beat them, I think it was something like uh, 26 to nothing. But they beat us 19 to 7 in this one game. Hmm. And that was our junior year. And, and basketball that year, we, this coach that we got, he was a very good basketball coach. And our basketball was, well, well our Freshman, sophomore year, we won more than we lost, but there weren't any championships or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But our junior year, when we got our good coach, we went uh, that year, it seemed like we went 19 and four, something like that. And uh, then our senior year, we went undefeated in football, 
Oh, going back to our junior year, this team that beat us, when we played them, we we were in the seventh or eighth game of the season. We were undefeated, untied, and unscored on when we played them. Nobody wow. had even scored on us. They were the first one to score on us, and they scored 19 points and beat us. <laughs> but then our, uh, our senior year, we went something like 24-2. and two. We lost in the finals of the uh, uh, district, and we lost in the finals of the uh, regional basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. And the team that beat us in the regional won the state championship that year. And the team that beat us in the district, we had beat them on their home floor by 15 points earlier in the year. But at the end of that game, I was the only starter still on the floor. Everybody else had fouled out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that and our uh, our football team, we, we did real well. Of course, back in those days, we didn't play for a state championship or mm-hmm. anything, but we were ranked number one in the state by the the Kansas High School Athletic Association, that we were the best team going. You have not a lot of not as much scoring back then as there is today. No, I, no, I remember no. you telling me about a game that you guys won seven to six. Oh yes, we won one six to nothing, and uh, the the one game our coach we were going to play this team the last game of the year that my team hadn't beaten since 1926. Wow. This was in 48, 40, fall of 47. And uh, we knew we had to play them on their field. This was the setup. They hadn't lost a game in two years. We'd lost one. But anyhow, the week before that, we were playing a team that was really nothing. And our coach kept telling us, that you're looking forward to next week, and, and this week you're going to get beat if you don't yep. get the right attitude. So anything, the uh, way we played Weir, and I think at the end of the first quarter, the score something like 28 to nothing. And so he changed us all around. I, I, I played uh, offensive end and defensive uh, back, you know, what they call corner now. Yep. In those days, you were safety. But... Anyhow, I'd, I'd play center for a while and play tackle for a while and then play uh, fullback or whatever for a while. He changed us all around because he didn't want to run up the score. Mm-hmm. And then the next week we played uh, Frontenac. And like I say, they hadn't been mean. And it had been raining all day. And, of course, back in those days, they had a good field. But back in those days, a good field is nothing like they play on yeah. today. So it had rained all day. It was raining at game time, and it was 38 degrees. Wow. And we uh, played, uh, we were into the, well into the third quarter, and nobody had hardly penetrated the other 40-yard line, I don't think. It just mud. I mean, when that game started, Five minutes later, you couldn't read a number out on that field. <laughs> and cold, I yeah. mean, it was cold because you were wet and mm-hmm. 38 degrees. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, it was right at the start of the fourth quarter. We had moved all the way down to about the five-yard line. And 
the quarterback called an off-tackle play on my side. And I was to hit the uh, linebacker, mm-hmm. which I did. But our tackle didn't get a good block on his man, the other tackle. And I just kind of glanced back, and the quarterback was motioning me. So I just stepped across the goal line, and there's the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and we won that game six to nothing. Wow. That was that was a game of probably the biggest crowd that ever saw a, a Class B football game in those days in the state of Kansas. No kidding. I, that, I swear the whole town of Mulberry was down there. And, of course, back in those days, that meant a 1,000 people or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But and, uh, a doctor in our town, uh, he had some friends down at Frontenac, and they were betting on the game. And, and our Doc Sandage, he covered any bet to those people, and he says, we've got a good team, and I don't care if it's snowing or raining or what. They're going to beat you guys. <laughs> I don't know how many thousands of dollars that guy made that night. Probably did he okay. He covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had, uh, like I say, we had a good coach. Just was excellent. He went from our little school over to a, a Class A school over in Missouri for two years, and they won their conference both years. And then he moved up to Kansas City to Rockhurst College as a head basketball coach. And he did that for four or five years, and he transferred to a private school in Kansas City, Pembroke Country Day. And uh, the way I remember it, he called all his uh, freshman boys in and found the ones that wanted to play basketball, and he told them, you do what I will tell you to do. You do things right. Keep your studies, all of that. And before you graduate, you're going to be state champions. He told them that. And sure enough, their senior year, they went something like 28 and 0. Wow. <laughs> and they, that was a, a lot higher classification. And, well, I say a lot higher. It wasn't the largest, but it'd be like a four out of five. They'd be uh, division four and and that's a pretty good sized school oh, yeah. in Missouri. Mm-hmm. But uh, had a had a real good school experience at our little school there in Mulberry. Had some awful good teachers all the way through. And in in high school, I I often wondered why those teachers taught there. They the pay wasn't great mm-hmm. in Mulberry. There wasn't enough money, but all of them had. Uh, the way I remember, just about all of them had master's degrees wow. in their uh, field, and they were just excellent teachers. And we had a uh, woman that was our superintendent of school there in Mulberry. She'd been the business teacher for many years, and she was superintendent for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years there before she retired. And she was excellent. She really kept that school going on. Very little funds, yeah. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. So, um, so you uh, you were at my house last weekend, uh, Allie. It was JoJo's first birthday, but it was also 
uh, my little sister Allie and her new fiance Will's engagement party, and you got to hang out with them a little bit. Yes. Um, so when so we were there's been a lot of conversation around our family the last couple of weeks about like engagements and proposals and stuff. How how did um when did my dad call you when he wanted to marry Linda, my mom? How, how do you remember how that whole situation happened? No, I don't. I I. I think Linda called her mom and told her the way I remember it. I don't know uh, where I was at uh, at that time. Uh, you may have been stationed no, at some no, point? No, I was out of the service. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let me see. It seemed like we were living in Texas, and, and uh, I did a lot of work for the uh, uh, American Legion, the uh, Lions Club mm-hmm. and the Chamber of Commerce. I was president of the Chamber of Commerce, president of the Lions Club, and commander of the American Legion during my period of time in uh, Bishop, Texas. Okay. And uh, we had a uh, grandma taught there uh, after I uh, finished my uh, job there with the, in the business that I was in. I stayed around till Grandma got her time in to retire at her maximum, <laughs> <laughs> and before we moved back to Kansas. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was a good time. We we lived there for about twenty three years, I think, in Texas, in Corpus Christi, and in uh, Bishop, gotcha. Texas. What was your what was your first first impression of Jim? Was he as crazy as I I am, or was he a little bit more mellow at that point? I, I think he was kind of mellow at that okay. time. <laughs> I I do remember him and Linda wanted me to cater the wedding party. Uh huh. So I had me a little red uh, S10 Chevrolet pickup. I remember that pickup. Okay. From your, yeah. uh, I remember that parked in your backyard at your house in Jopla, or in uh, Carl Junction. Yes. I remember that. Yep. Well, I had it down there, and what I did, I spent a week barbecuing, 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 and other things, and mm-hmm. loaded them up in my little red pickup and hauled them all the way to San Antonio <laughs> for, the, for the dinner. Nice. And it was a great day. It really was. And as you know, as they say, the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> and we're real, real proud of him. I've got great, great, great people in my family. All of them, all of them are educated. Except uh, for me. <laughs> well, uh, that, uh, but... Uh, uh, talk about our kids, and uh, in fact, most of the in-laws, uh, all of them, uh, Terry, I guess, uh, Howdy's wife, all have uh, degrees of some sort, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's hard to do on Air Force and teachers' pay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, have five kids all educated, but and most of them did it on their own. Wow, they did. It's impressive. Yes, they did. And like I always say, I think we deserve to own about 60 acres down there in the middle of Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. How did you, uh, how'd you talk Grandma into marrying you? How'd I do what? How'd you talk Grandma into marrying you? 
Well, I was in the in the Air Force. We'd been going together. Oh, well, we went together a little bit off and on all through high school, mm-hmm. nothing serious or anything like that. And uh, after graduation, of course, she started college right away. And that's really when we started dating. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd come up from uh, Lake Charles there that year that we were married. I'd get on the train at Lake Charles Friday afternoon at 6 o'clock. And I'd get to Pittsburgh at 6 o'clock Saturday morning, mm-hmm. spend Saturday and Sunday, catch the train out of Pittsburgh 6 o'clock Sunday night, get back to Lake Charles at 6 o'clock Monday morning ready for work. <laughs> nice. And I did that several times. And then she came down to visit at Lake Charles, look it over before we got married. And then, uh, just, I don't know, I think it was... Probably the 4th of July that we decided we were going to get married. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was going to stay in college. So we got married the 1st of September of 51. And she did that year before she got pregnant with Lisa. Gotcha. And uh, she dropped out of college and stayed out until we were stationed up at Whiteman there I'd been in service for what seventeen eight years, seventeen years, and mm-hmm. and she went to school back at uh, uh, Central Missouri for, and got her degree there in uh, home economics. And then when we moved to Texas, she uh, substituted some down there, and this she's substituted at a it was like a. a home for kids that were trouble-prone, and she uh, substituted there, and she decided she wanted to get into special education, Mm -hmm. so she went back to school and got her degree, and then she uh, taught special ed for a few years, and then she became the special ed director for the school district, and she did that for many years. And uh, I, uh, after I got out of high school, I went one semester to junior college up at Fort Scott, just 20 miles north of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there was no money back then. To, I'd, I'd saved a little bit, and I got through that, that semester and I played one, uh, one season of football and a uh, about a half a season of basketball before okay. I dropped out. And uh, then later on, I, I went a semester up at uh, Central Missouri. And uh, I didn't care for that much up there. But yeah. then later on, when we were in Texas, I went to to uh, Corpus Christi, which was later Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I went there, and I really liked that. I had some good instructors and got a degree from there. And Grandma got a degree from there. And uh, Linda and Liz got degrees from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, your Aunt Deanna and Christy 
and Mark all got degrees there. The so you weren't kidding. You guys do have some real estate down in seven, Texas. There were seven of us. <laughs> and, uh, well, Mark got a master's there, and your grandma got her master's there, and the rest of us got uh, undergraduate degrees. And <laughs> it... Uh, it was a good school. It was a it was a Division One school. They mm-hmm. played basketball in Division One, and uh, just a beautiful location down there on the uh, on the I guess you call it Corpus Christi Bay. The Gulf. Yeah, down there. the Gulf yeah. came in there, and uh, of course Corpus Christi really was a was a beautiful city there. Just with a great. Uh, uh, Oceanside or Bayside Park there downtown and yeah. all of that. It was, and they uh, they built that big uh, aquarium there, the state aquarium there in Corpus, and then they they built that big hall down there on the north of the bay and had the basketball games and then they had a baseball field. It was second to none out there. It was just beautiful. The Corpus was a great town, and I, I really miss Texas. Uh, that little town of Bishop, I think, maybe three thousand people, and we knew everybody in town there. Of course, a lot of through mom's uh, teaching and mm-hmm. and maybe being connected with all the the chamber and uh, the Lions and American Legion. Had some great times there. Yeah. Most would call that a life well lived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah. you had had some good times and had some not so good, but uh, all in all, it was great. Yeah. Well, Grandpa, I think we're we're about out of time, but okay. can't I can't thank you enough for doing this. I think that. Um, you know, everybody that listens to this, you know, down the road is going to really appreciate it. It's great talking to you, even if we didn't have Jim Beam. Absolutely. (laughs) We we can do it both ways. (laughs) We've tried it both ways. Yeah, it works both ways. So the last, the last thing I wanted to share real quick before we get off of here. So, um, with the, I, it was, it was really fun. One of my favorite memories is that when, um, last, la- the last time I went down to Pittsburgh was, uh, the, the chiefs were in the AFC championship playing the Tennessee Titans. And we got, uh, we got to watch them beat up on the Titans and go to the Super Bowl, And yep. they won the Super Bowl. And I, I'll never forget like the last, like after, after they won that game, you looked at me and you said that the last time, uh, the last time the chiefs were in the Super Bowl, I was listening to them at on the radio at three in the morning when I was in Vietnam. That's right. And, uh, and maybe, maybe it had been talked about before. Maybe it hadn't. Um, and, and maybe it was my fault for not realizing I had no idea that you ever were in Vietnam. Like I knew you were in the military. I knew you were in the Korean conflict, but I had no idea about Vietnam. And I know most people from that era aren't super keen to talk about it. The best part about that game, uh, when I was in Vietnam, I had people there from Minnesota that was giving me two to one odds, three to one odds. And <laughs> and I you cleaned, cleaned them I out. Cleaned up. I cleaned up. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. So, well, Grandpa, I can't thank you enough. Um, 
And uh, yeah, this was this was awesome. A lot of people are really going to appreciate that you took the time to do this. And uh, we'll we'll sign off here. But it was great talking to you. And well, it's been great for me too, Justin. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you on the next episode. We'll see you guys. 